Good morning, everyone. You're listening to The Sci-Files, an exposure segment featuring Michigan State University student research. We're your co-hosts, Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Today, we're welcoming Joelle Soler. Joelle, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Uh, good morning, Chelsea and Daniel. Uh, thank you guys for having me here. Um, I'm currently a PhD candidate here at Michigan State University, and I work in the psychology department within the behavioral neuroscience program. And this is my fifth and hopefully final year. Wow, so you're in your fifth year right now. That must mean that you're close to finishing your dissertation. Correct, yes. Yeah. So I'm I'm set to defend within a month today, actually. Exactly a month today, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, crunch Exciting. time. Who, and who is your advisor? Uh, Dr. Lillian. Uh, she has an appointment in the psychology department as well as within the neuroscience program. Cool. And then what is the research that you're doing for your dissertation? So um, basically, my research efforts focus on determining how long-term environmental lighting conditions impact cognitive function. And we use a diurnal rodent model um, that to answer questions pertaining to how it affects the brain. I have a lot of questions, but how do you guys study this with the model that you have? Just to give a little bit more background as to why we, I, I make the disclaimer that we use a diurnal rodent model instead of a traditional rodent model that are typically nocturnal is because, well, for the most part, we as humans, we have a predominantly diurnal activity pattern. So by using a diurnal, by utilizing a diurnal model, we hope that whatever findings that we, that we get, we obtain would be of higher translational value. So that's a word that you've said a lot. What does diurnal even mean? Basically, diurnal means that the organism is primarily active during the day rather than at night. So the literal opposite of nocturnal. Exactly. Okay, yeah. cool. So using this diurnal rodent model, and I'm wondering, what are you looking for whenever you're having this specific lighting? Like, Are you looking at how the rats behave? Based on the uh, condition known as a seasonal affective disorder, I don't know if you guys have heard about seasonal affective disorder, but it's, it's a major depressive disorder that is very, uh, it's very related to the variations of lighting conditions with the seasons. So basically, depressive, uh, depressive episodes are mainly circumscribed to the fall and winter months. And then these episodes remit during spring and summer. And that's tied to sunny days versus cloudy days, where cloudy days are during the fall and winter. And then Sunny is during the spring and summer. And then basically a core morbid factor for seasonal affective disorder is that, you know, you have impaired learning and memory function. And one thing that we we saw is that there's a breadth in human studies that, that chronicle the beneficial effects of long-term bright lighting condition. But how exactly does this occur in the brain is not well understood. And that's why we're targeting how learning and memory occurs within a brain region crucial for learning and memory known as the hippocampus in the animal model that we're using. You brought up some interesting points. Both Danny and I are from Miami, Florida, so we haven't heard much about the disorder being where we're from because there's a lot of light over there. But when we came to Michigan, people were saying, you know, take your vitamin D because of the light and stuff like that. And I was wondering, do you look at vitamin D and does your light mimic the sun when you're with these rats? 
to answer your first question, we don't look at vitamin D, uh, basically because there hasn't been any causal role as of yet between vitamin D and cognitive function. But um, basically what we do with our rats is um, instead of asking them, because obviously they can't tell us, but um, we utilize a behavioral paradigm to assess learning memory dependent upon the hippocampus. And um, the behavioral paradigm is known as the Morris water maze. And what it consists of is basically you have a pool and there's a platform just underneath the, the water level and it's opaque. The water is rendered opaque and the animal has to utilize external visual cues to, to learn the location of the platform. And after a couple of days of consecutive uh, training, um, we then basically assess reference memory within these animals by removing the platform. And if the animal learned correctly, it should uh, search for the platform in the goal quadrant for the majority of the time spent in that probe test. I'm kind of confused, honestly. You're telling me you put the rats on a platform that it's opaque and they have to find their way back through memory? Just imagine uh, basically a, a pool that's four by foot, four by five foot diameter. So it's a fairly big pool in comparison to the rat size. And then there's a, a substantially smaller platform inside of this pool. And it's just about two inches beneath the surface of the water level. And the water is rendered opaque so that they can't see the platform. Oh, and they have to figure out the way back through it. It's not big. Exactly. And using basically visual landmarks to, to help them navigate. Are there differences between the rats that were given a lot of light versus the rats that weren't exposed to as much light? And what does that mean? So um, basically we have a, uh, what we denominate as a chronic daytime light deficiency paradigm. And basically this consists of rats being housed for four weeks in one of two lighting conditions. Um, we have our BLD group, which stands for bright light dark cycle group, and our DLD group, which stands for dim light dark cycle group. And after we house these grass rats for four weeks in their respective lighting conditions, we see that um, rats in the BLD group outperform um, their dim light counterparts basically by spending twice or a little over twice the amount of time in the specific goal quadrant where the platform was located in comparison to the ones in dim lighting conditions. So it sounds like the rats that weren't in the dim light conditions were able to find this platform a lot quicker. Yes. What type of lighting do you guys use? Is it fluorescent light or white light? I know there's different types of lights. And have you guys looked at the different types? So um, we use, uh, um, so as far as color temperature goes, we go, um, we utilize uh, cool white because it, it mimics um, the shorter wavelength light that is predominant in natural sunlight. And then we utilize LED just to not make the rats uncomfortable because fluorescent lighting tends to generate heat. Obviously, artificial lighting is not as intense as natural sunlight, but what we do is that we recreate um, their proportions between what constitutes a, a sunny day versus a, a cloudy day. So, um, fun fact, um, in Michigan, the, your average typical sunny day in July is around... Um, the lux intensity, that's the measurement for light intensity, um, is around 88,000 lux. And during a typical cloudy day in January, it's around 4,000 lux. So 
you have a around a 20 to 1 ratio. And so we just replicate that ratio within the laboratory conditions. So our BLD group has a lighting intensity around 1,000 lux. And then our dim light group um, has a lighting intensity around 50 lux. So we just recreate the, the, proportional, the proportions that we see here in this state. So you're doing a comparison of what it would be like here in the state. Can this be applied to the rest of the United States? It could be a, so. Seasonal affective disorder has um, has a positive correlation with the farther you are from the equator, the the higher the prevalence of this condition. So usually, states like in Michigan or even Alaska, if you go up a little higher, or most states in the northern parts of the Midwest or northern continental U.S. and farther Canada and stuff, that's where you see a lot of this condition and. Nordic countries as well, you see a very high prevalence. I'm still curious about the memory part. You mentioned the hippocampus earlier, and some of our listeners might not even know what the hippocampus is. Could you talk about more about your studies relating to that? Like, do you guys look at the brain afterwards? After all of our um, behavioral studies, we also take a look at what's quote unquote under the hood, so in the brain. And then um, basically, j- just to spare uh graphic details um basically we we extract the tissue and um through various preparation methods we look at um morphological structure within the hippocampus and then we also look at molecular biological molecular markers so one of the findings that we saw was that um we saw a reduction in synaptic point contact so basically how brain cells or neurons uh, communicate with one another are through synapses. And where these synapses land are these tiny structures called um, dendritic spines. So if you can try to make a mental picture, just try to picture that each neuron is, is sort of a tree, if you will. The cell body is the trunk and um, the dendrites are, are the branches and dendritic spines are leaves on the branches. And so synapses land on the branches. And what we see that what we see is that after four weeks of dim lighting conditions, there are, there's approximately a thirty percent reduction of dendritic spines in grass rats that are housed in dim lighting conditions. So that's thirty around thirty percent less effective synaptic communication that mirrors the behavioral deficits that 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 I just explained to you guys. And then does this change the morphology of the hippocampus at all, or does it usually stay relatively the same? So the, the, the hippocampus a, a, as a whole, it stays relatively the same. It's at, it's, it's at the individual cell level that, that changes, but the, the integrity of the structure as a whole stays fairly the same. Is it only the hippocampus that you see that's affected? Do you only focus on that, or do you take a section of the entire brain? We, we basically... My research only focuses on the hippocampus because we're uh, we're very interested in hippocampal dependent learning and memory, but other areas of research that is done within our labs show that there are also changes within a brain region um, called uh, the dorsal raphe nucleus, and that's a brain region that's very um, responsible for emotion and, and depressive-like behaviors. So basically, we have this animal model of seasonal affective disorder, and chronic dim lighting conditions 
uh, induce a depressive like phenotype and induce changes in the dorsal raphe. And then from that, I read that a lot of depressive disorders have a comorbid factor that they have cognitive um, impairments. And then that's how I, I, I came to do my research on the hippocampus. So at least for those two brain regions that we do see changes. How does your research apply to different therapies that are involved to help treat seasonal depression as a whole, such as here in Michigan then? Um, right now, the most utilized form of therapy is uh, bright light therapy. And what that consists of is basically individuals have a uh, SAD box, and basically seasonal affective disorder. Its acronyms are SAD. So you um, you have the sad box that basically consists of you exposing yourself to a really bright light as soon as you wake up for 15 to 20 minutes in the morning. And that works for a subset of people that have seasonal affective disorder. But then there's also a, another subset that bright light therapy doesn't do much. So currently we're looking at how specific neurotransmitter systems can be used to um, generate pharmacological interventions to, to target that subset and generate, generate a new therapeutic strategy for this condition. I've seen online that people can buy a lamp that would basically mimic the sun and things like that. And I have plants that I put a light on, but the plants haven't been too well the whole winter. So I kind of compare it to that. And the idea of giving myself really bright light 15 minutes in the morning just sounds horrible to me. I I like to stay away from the light for a few minutes when I wake up. So my question is that, do they have any other alternatives other than the sad box in the morning? Because what if you're like me, where you don't want to be blasted with light as soon as you're woken up? So that's pretty much the only effective method for treating seasonal affective disorder. When you're using bright light therapy, it's not just any regular um, bright light. You have to make sure that I, it has to be cool white in the wider in, in so in the shorter wavelength spectrum and it has to be a certain intensity and at first people are a little bit are, are a little bit aversive to it but the learning and memory um, benefits and the cognitive benefits that that you get from it and overall your mood tends to tends to rebound in the in the population that does benefit from bright light therapy. So I'm not sure if this question was actually answered, though. Yeah, I know. How how does your research help then? Like, what will this pave the way for in the future? It, it'll definitely help pave the way for pharmacological alter- alternatives where instead of using light, we can, with just a application such as an intranasal spray or with a specific compound, that, that can be used. I'm also wondering... Does what you feed your rats affect how they act? For example, if I eat something for lunch today and eat something different tomorrow, I can feel completely different. So do you guys change their diets and do you have a specific diet for them? Their their diet is pretty much the same. We don't do anything different. We feed them standard um, uh, rodent chow. The the, the food and, and the rations of the food are kept at a constant so we, I believe we got a pretty solid idea of what your research is involved with. Now, what motivated you personally to get involved with this research? I've always been drawn to researching learning and memory just because within the field of neuroscience, it's one of the more psychological aspects of neuroscience and also being able to ask certain questions that 
probably 50, 60 years ago was a little bit more abstract. And now there's novel methods to actually get into the nitty gritty, the, the biological factors of learning and memory, where you can do genetic manipulations to induce false memories and, and stuff of that nature. That That's part of the reason that really interested me. And then originally hailing from Puerto Rico, we don't get, we don't have seasons. It's mostly 80 degrees year round. And then my first year here, uh, that first January that hits you where it's doesn't, you don't see light until 8 a.m. and already till at like 3 or 4 p.m. It's already dark. And that definitely takes a toll on you if you're not used to it. So combining the two was definitely a, a, a good way that not only, you know, satisfied my requirements, but my requirements in the degree, but also something that I was passionate about. I'm sorry, I want to take a step back. You just said false memories, that you can give someone false memories. Can you, can you please talk about that? So so actually, there's a TED-Ed um, episode uh, about this. So basically, um, I'll try to avoid um, jargon as much as I can, but there's um, a, ner- uh, a, me- a method, uh, a technical method in neuroscience that um, is called optogenetics. And basically what this is, is that you introduce an artificial receptor in the brain and use light to activate or inhibit the receptor. So you're basically activating a signaling pathway or inhibiting a signaling pathway. And in rodents, in a behavioral paradigm where you induce a, a shock to, to, to create a fear memory, um, they use a totally naive animal that's never been exposed to this kind of training, and they activate that pathway, and it displays uh, the same response. But it never even went the shock. So in that case, it's a false memory. Thanks so much, Joel, for joining us. As we near the end of our show, is there any advice that you would provide to any of our listeners that are thinking about going into science but may not be sure if this is something they're interested in pursuing or not? Yeah. Um, so basically, if you feel that science is one of uh, one of your school subjects that you do best at or you not necessarily do best at but also have the, the majority of your interest, I say um, the key to it is persistence. Um, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have days where you feel that progress uh, feels that it's never going to come. But the the key to success, I believe, in, in science is basically persistence and, and never forgetting why you want it to get into it in the first place. And usually people in the scientific community, as long as you display a genuine interest, they're always willing to help. And, and the community itself is is very collaborative and people are always willing to help you out. Did you always knew that you wanted to do science? Uh, no, I did not. Um, so honestly, um, when I was in high school, uh, like a majority of students, I didn't know what I wanted to study. Um, so I started out as a chemistry major because I thought I was going to go to pharmacy school. And then three years in, I'm like, I don't like chemistry. And then I switched and then I, I decided to double major in pharmacology and psychology sort of to to get at the psychopharmacology, how um, how medications such as um, SSRIs that are used for depression impact behavior and how it affects the brain and stuff. So 
nearing the end of my undergraduate education is where I really got interested in neuroscience. But before then, I didn't have much of a clue. Thanks a lot for sharing that with us, Joam. Thank you to all of our listeners that joined us this week. And remember, the truth is in the science. Any comments and questions can be directed to scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll see you all next week on Sci-Files.